Hello and welcome to the Verge ESP podcast. I think I should have said Verge ESP. I'm so out of practice with our podcast. It's been a while. It's been a, more than a month. It has, it has been. It's been a little bit of time. We've been, you know, resting, relaxing, rejuvenating. We've been, like, wandering through the forest, re- getting back in touch with ourselves and what what a podcast is and the concept of a podcast. And now that we're in touch with ourselves, we're going to introduce ourselves. I'm Liz <laughs> Lopato, the science editor at The Verge. And I am Emily Yoshida, the entertainment editor at The Verge. And we are, we have up until now been for DSP a bi month a bi bi monthly that would be intense <laughs> that would be like really really bold no we were bi weekly um as a podcast uh, an hour of of science and entertainment content for your ears um but we have a big announcement with our comeback uh we're going weekly just so we you know we are going weekly um and i think it'll be i think it'll be good i think it'll be easier actually than doing it bi-weekly because it's just easier to keep up you know get in the flow and just feel the the rhythm of the art and science community that's right you know there's gonna be no more times where you're like oh are Liz and Emily gonna discuss that movie that came out two weeks ago and it's no. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll be able to talk about every single episode of Game of Thrones when it comes back so get ready be ready um so let's get into some news yeah uh, so you were telling me about Philae. Is that how you pronounce it? I, I mean, that's how Latin-y. I've been pronouncing it. Um, I'm sure we're gonna hear we're gonna hear back from people who are like, "Excuse me." Um, no, it's Greek. Um, so I think Philae is right. Um, I, which I had completely just amnesiaed out of my brain, and then you told me about. It. I was like, "Oh, that's right." Like I, I feel like so, I have very bad retention. For this <laughs> it's fine. So for those of you who don't know immediately off the bat what feli is, you remember that comet landing, like the super like nail bitery one where you didn't it was a find out. Big moment. It yeah. was a really big moment. <laughs> the European Space Agency totally landed a thing on a comet, like without exploding it, which is unusual. Um, so, so, um, but the problem was, as you may recall, the, uh, landing, the, the, the lander didn't stick the landing is what happened. It bounced, um, cause there wasn't a lot of gravity to, to hold right. things to the surface. Was there an adhesive or something? Like how can they, you... they had like hooking, um, hooking mechanisms and drills and hmm. like, it just didn't quite work the way that they had been hoping it would work. It didn't right. just. You know, I mean, it's a hard landing yeah. to stick. Um, so anyway, um, it bounced and it landed in a way where it seemed like um, Philae might not get enough sunlight in order to be able to transmit all of its data. And so this morning, um, it's Tuesday. We're recording on Tuesday. It's Tuesday morning. Um, I suppose it's not morning for Emily, as it is 921 like a.m. W- Pacific well time. into the day. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of stuff has happened. Um, Things have happened. Uh, But the European Space Agency um, tried to communicate with Philae again, and it has most likely failed. Uh, The agency sent a command to the spaceship to try to, like, trigger a last-ditch kind of response from it, maybe move it someplace that might make it a little bit easier to communicate, and the vehicle has remained totally silent, which is essentially what has been going on since uh, that first landing. So, so how long yeah. were they originally intending on being able to communicate with it? Like, uh, is this... Actually, the end of January, so the end of this month. They were they were hoping that they would be able to communicate with it um, 
by now, uh, like through, you know, through all of 2015, essentially. Right. Um, so this is sort of a setback in the sense that, you know, <laughs> we didn't get the data. Right. Um, uh, and, you know, like the soft landing is 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 tricky. So, yeah, uh, some bad news there from space. But some great news, depending on where you're sitting from the film industry. Star Wars, The Force Awakens, a little independent film that came out at the end of last year, has officially become the highest grossing film of all time. Wow, even with that MRA boycott? Yeah, they managed to, to overcome the huge setback of every <laughs> men's rights activist. Or no, I'm sorry. Well, there was the MRA boycott, and then there were also the uh, the people who were not... Uh, so happy about John Boyega being in the film. John Boyega, who's excellent in the film, by the way. Um, I um, loved him in Attack the Block. Yeah, um, he's I great. haven't seen Star Wars still. Sorry, everybody. Um, but this, I mean, it's insane. The because the previous record ho- holder, of course, was Avatar, and which is still crazy to me because I didn't see Avatar, I and still I haven't, haven't seen that. I haven't seen <laughs> Avatar or Jurassic World. Like after things pass a certain threshold, I'm like, mm, doesn't need me. My work is not needed here um, if I have no original interest. But um, so it surpassed Avatar in like 20 days or something, something insane like that. So, yeah, these Star Wars movies, I think they might be onto something with them uh, commercially. Oh, my God. Well, you know, I imagine Disney owning everything on Earth probably helped. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, they're they're in it for the long haul. I mean, there was a, a Wired feature that came out. That I was pretty jealous of, I have to say, as an editor. Um, just about the overall, you know, world domination plan for Star Wars in the next, oh, probably 100 years. Mm. And it's intense. And they are, they've really thought it out this time. And we're going to be living with Star Wars for a very long time. And Lucky giving us. it a lot of our money. Um, tell, <laughs> tell me about this el- elephant, though. Oh, gosh. So, um the Ringling Brothers um, have been retiring. Their, they, they announced they were going to retire their elephants uh, because of a series of laws that they said were essentially, and I'm quoting here, anti-elephant. Um, uh, uh, you mean uh, anti-elephant, the laws against captivity are anti-elephant? Uh, yeah, well, so the, the laws sort of vary. Some of them seem to be responses to, like, the Zanesville thing where all of those um, exotic animals got loose in the town because the person who was keeping them had died by suicide and, like, opened all their cages. Uh-huh. So there are stricter laws in some places now about exotic animals, and, of course, an elephant is an exotic animal. But here in uh, Oakland, California... Um, there are now laws against certain kinds of implements that are used in elephant training because they are thought to be cruel, like nose hooks, I think, was the one that uh, specifically got banned. So the Ringling Brothers are essentially saying, uh, actually, we aren't going to fight any of this legislation. We're just going to retire the elephants. And so the elephants are um, at an elephant facility in Florida and maybe um, helping with cancer research. That is, that is the afterlife of a circus elephant. Wow. I love elephants. Elephants are my favorite animal. Really? Yeah, they are. Because <laughs> of Babar. Um, elephants and then dogs. Mm, um, good to but, know. 
Uh, this, I mean, I don't want to go too off topic because we have to move along and we're trying to keep our news nice and short and sweet, but I have to tell you something crazy because I went, I went, I go home to the Pacific Northwest, Tacoma, Washington every Christmas. And one of my favorite childhood places, not favorite, it's just like a weird place. I remember from being a kid is this place called B&I Marketplace, which is like one of the first indoor malls in America. Um, made in the Pacific Northwest because it rains all the time and you need to be inside if you want to do shopping and spend money. (laughs) So this is like a very, very prototypical mall. Really weird. Um, And they used to have a gorilla in there. What? It was called a like, it was called a zoo or what was it? No, it was called a circus mall. And there was a gorilla. There were some other animals too. But there was famously, Ivan the gorilla was kept in this mall in Tacoma, Washington in captivity for years and years and years. And then finally... I think in the 90s, late 90s, maybe, he got moved to a sanctuary somewhere. But it was incredible because I was there. I mean, I remember, I, I kind of remember this controversy happening. Uh, but the mall still has, like, you know, the, they have a huge, like, hall of fame, like, wall of all these yellowed clippings and stuff about the, the Ivan saga. And they're still so adamant that, like, he was happy with us. Like, he, he, <laughs> He needed to be here with his trainers who loved him very much. And it's like, oh, my God. Like, it, it, it feels like something from another era. Like, you can't believe that it exists now. But Yeah, I mean, there's, it's, it, it, yes, that is exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, and I'm going to transition very abruptly to the new era, uh, 2016. Uh, Happy New Year. I hope everybody's uh, uh, alive. Yeah, alive, well, <laughs> thriving. Um uh, and I know that this is the time of year where people are failing at their New Year's resolutions. Uh, so salutes to you. Um, salutes also to the people who are not failing at their New Year's resolutions. But like, honestly, when I managed to keep a New Year's resolution this long, um, I don't really need any salutes because I am already pretty proud of myself. Wait, what's what was your New Year's resolution this year? Oh, I don't have one this year. But like previously, okay. it's been stuff like, oh, well, I am going to maybe like make a point of going for a walk on every lunch break because I notice that I'm not getting any sunlight in the middle of winter and it's depressing me. <laughs> that, that's huge. That's very big. Yeah. Um, that one worked out pretty well for me. Um, I recommend it to anybody who needs one. Um, but so, uh, of course, in the new year, the, the first thing that happens for us at The Verge is CES. Um, and I promise we're not going to go too far into gadget nerd tech territory, um, except to say that uh, as you may or may not know, the FDA has chosen not to regulate um, what they call wellness devices, which are things like Fitbits, uh, uh-huh. health trackers, that kind of thing, as, as long as they're not making a specific medical claim. So they can say things like they'll make you healthier or they'll help you with wellness, but they can't say like promotes weight loss unless they've done the studies. Well, they don't say that usually, though, right? Like, I, I don't feel like I've seen anything that literal or direct about what they will help you with. It's more like you can pay attention to this now. And then you maybe if you're healthier. aware of it, you might make your you might take some actions that might lead to you to be more healthy. I don't know. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, that's that's exactly what they're doing. They're being very careful about their marketings to, like, imply that you're not healthy enough without, like, saying anything about, like, you know, ideal, like how you can achieve the ideal physical physique. You know what I mean? Like, they're, right. it's not clear what you're supposed to do with the information they're giving you. It's not clear how good the information is. They aren't clear about what goals you really should be trying to achieve. Like, are you supposed to be skinnier? Are you supposed to have more muscle? Are you just supposed to be more active? You're just but supposed they're... to walk a lot every day. Like, as long <laughs> as you make those steps and you don't collapse, you're healthy. 
And like some people do, like this for some people this works really well and like great for them. But I, uh, Lauren, um, Lauren Grush, my my science reporter, was at CES and she just got sick of being body shamed, basically, <laughs> so that people could sell their <laughs> fitness trackers and wrote about it. Um, and like uh, there, you know, there's sort of a dark side to it, like. Um, you can you can potentially like wind up with an eating disorder if you are predisposed right. to eating disorders and you're it's, obsessively tracking and monitoring. It's not great for anybody with any obsessive tendencies. I no, say. this and is like, one of the first things I, I I think we ever talked about on this podcast, right? Like kind of yeah. self quantification stuff. It's very right. it's very. I feel like. Yeah, you need. I, I I would I would say like oh it's harmless like there's no like it's just gonna give you a number and feedback about your steps or whatever but like there are people for whom this sort of information can snowball very quickly. right for some people for whom this is not harmless and you know it, it very clearly is something that I think a lot of these companies are not thinking about right but like the thing the other thing that I want to like wail on here is a lot of these devices really don't work that well. <laughs> like leaving aside all of the questionable like assumptions they're making about what health and wellness are and like what what you should be doing with yourself and like all of the the problems of quantification and like this kind of measurement like leave all of that aside right now and just focus like let's just assume that that's all right okay let's just mm -hmm. for right now even assuming that's right they a lot of these devices don't do what they say they do <laughs> right like, they're not great trackers and um and they're ugly, so you know. I'm so there's that, and then they're but, a little bit like uh, like a not like post-apocalyptic or something, like fascist feeling. Like you've got this like collar on this thing, even if it's like an ankle man, you're you're going farther than I am. I don't know. But it's I, just, I like, like it's it. very battle royale. It's like it's gonna blow up one day. <laughs> we all we all lose the game, the running That's game. Right. There's there's no there's no option for us to murder the guy who's in charge of the game. Yeah, um, <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, the, the the other piece of it, of course, besides like the sort of like weird self monitoring, like getting you used to the surveillance state thing, mm -hmm. is that like they're using, uh, especially like sort of the EEG devices that are meaning to tell you how you're meditating, they're using what is actually validated technology. Like EEG is really used in, yeah. in medicine, um, but they're not using it in the way that. Um, that, that it's meant to be used. <laughs> so to use a very basic example, um, when you have a real EEG done, they put the electrodes directly on your scalp. Uh, your hair can't be in the way. Mm. Um, and all of these, these EEG devices that we saw at CES that were being marketed as like, oh, you can play a video game. Oh, this will help you relax. Oh, you could even drive a car with this, which PS is like a totally a real headline. Wow. Um, uh, you know, they're using a real scientific tool in a way in which it was not intended. They've done no studies whatsoever of it, the tool in that particular use. And there are all kinds of ways that things like your phone or your hair can interfere. Mm -hmm. And what bugs me, I guess, um, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, like I, there, there's like, it's just like this. I'm never going to stop being Catholic. I haven't believed in God in a while, and I just am never going to stop being Catholic. It frustrates me uh, to no end to see this kind of disingenuous marketing because mm -hmm. the people who are marketing it almost certainly know that what they're doing isn't kosher. They have to. Um, and they're, they're, they're selling these expensive baubles to people 
by 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 body shaming them or like oh yeah well if you really want to reach the next level of meditation you need to monitor your EEG and like yeah. see if you're really relaxed which is like monitoring meditations seems like the wrong thing to, to do yeah that seems like very very directly self-contradictory <laughs> I was gonna say um well I, I I will take a I will take a little bit of a devil's advocate position even though I think all this stuff is bullshit as well um uh I mean, there is something to be said about, like, making the imperfect version of it um, with the understanding that somebody will come along and do a better job of it later. Like, leapfrogging some obvious necessary steps so that you get there, you have the idea, and you're like, okay, we have this thing that can control video games with our brains. It doesn't work right now at all, but here's a crappy version of it and somebody can iterate upon <laughs> Pay that. Pay $600. And yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, to me, it's like, um, it's like diet books almost, right? Like your diet mm-hmm. book doesn't have to work. It just has to sell. Right. Like that's, that's the point of writing a diet book, right? It doesn't have to be a good diet. It doesn't have to be something that will even help people lose weight. It doesn't have to be based in science. It doesn't have to be medical, although that credential will help you market it. It has to have uh, some really good typefaces, though. Like right. really good design. <laughs> <laughs> and like these are just like this is this is diet books. This is like the gadget world version mm-hmm. of diet books and that was what we saw at CES right after the new year was diet books at oh, in man. gadget form. And it just like on some very personal level that really bothers me and feels irresponsible. Well, it's I mean, it it's interesting because I feel like it's something that exists. It's one of these things that exists really solely on the tech side of things and doesn't really have a cultural I don't know, it doesn't feel like it's got the answer on the other side where you've got people in the culture really using it or being like this is a part of my life now. Like I feel like it's still very techy. And like, yeah, you see normal people on the train wearing their Fitbits and stuff like that, but it doesn't feel it doesn't feel cool. <laughs> Yeah, if no. that, like if that's like a very very superficial way of of putting it, but like that's what I mean by cultural is like it's like you don't have like Kate Upton or whoever or no I well it could be Kate Upton I was actually thinking of Kate Hudson because she has her um, fitness um, line her fashion line oh, cool. uh, <laughs> which I see ads for on TV all the time now Fabletics Fabletics um, but like you don't see her advocating for this kind of thing and I feel like. I feel like sometimes, especially when it comes to uh, questions of vanity and body image and stuff like that, you kind of need that push from people that, like, people idolize as having perfect physiques or, or perfect, you know, physical forms. Well, that's right. I mean, like, the celebrity push is a big thing for any major, like, physical movement, right? Yeah. Like, when the celebrities start doing Pilates, other people start doing Pilates. Oh, yeah. And, like... um. Yeah, there it it doesn't have that kind of toehold among people who are not paid. Yeah, <laughs> like the <laughs> celebrities who um, are wearing Fitbits uh, or whatever it is, whatever tracker it is, typically have a promotional deal with the company. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, does Fitbit like send people or like send paparazzos around? Or, like paparazzi, paparazzo. Like, I have no idea. I, I hope the they do. Oh <laughs> like, man, in into big Fitbit. Um, well, uh, well, while we're on the subject of some some hot Hollywood garbage, yeah, we should talk about award season, which is upon us. Oh my um, god, it's... there are so many awards. Can I just say that before? Yeah, <laughs> and There's... you know, some of them are actually kind of important still, or like they still—I won't say important, but like they're at least sort of they mean something. 
like today, the DGA Awards got, I think they already got announced or are about to be announced when we're recording this. They will have been announced by the time you're hearing this, Um, (laughs) which is, you know, directors and the Directors Guild voting on other directors of film and television. And like, I feel like an award like that holds some weight. It's a peer review of things that people did within the community. It's way less campaigned for and bought and it's a little more just like oh yeah. I mean there can be some clickishness or clubbiness to it but I feel like it's interesting and they do those awards do inform the other awards to a degree but I feel like the Golden the, Globes. Yeah. The Golden Globes are a bunch of bunch of garbage and they just happened this last Sunday. The Revenant won best picture. Ew. <laughs> Have you seen it? No. <laughs> I'm sorry. I like... wish you would see it. I, I really want to talk to you about it. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll think about it. <laughs> it's it's not good. It's it's um it was directed by uh Alejandro Gonzalez Inarritu, who did Ugh. Birdman, which I also did not like very much. For, I don't I, like his movies. Me neither. Me neither. I think he's I think he his movies come off as immature to me. In, in a way where they're trying to be very profound. And yes, I feel like... they're faux profound. They're like, yeah. they like, they're like the shallow end of the pool that has been painted the same yeah. color as the deep end. And like, if you're not careful, you can dive right into that. And it's interesting because when he came back and he did Birdman, which was after a pretty long hiatus from directing features, uh, he, everybody's like, oh, he's he's like, he's got this new, like, he's he's more experimental. He's like matured. He's like not so grave and self-important. He still is. He totally is. He's just like <laughs> he did a film that had all one shot and had Michael Keaton wearing a superhero costume, so it was sort of weird. But he's still like every bit as self-important. And well, Leonardo DiCaprio is usually a sign of self-importance. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Like it's really funny. Like people are very wrapped up now in this. Will will he get finally get his Oscar or not? Like forgetting the fact that he's not a good actor. No, but that's that's my feeling. No, his best use was was by Baz Luhrmann. Like oh, Baz yeah. Luhrmann knew how to use Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, everybody else has been just trying to recreate that magic ever since. I feel like without the sort of somewhat damp forelock going on, <laughs> there's not, there's really not that much to 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 I don't know look forward to with Leo. But anyway, I didn't like that movie. He won also Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio won Best Actor of a Golden Globe. Who really care, who really cares? It's a Golden Globe. Except the Golden Globes kind of do predict the Oscars to a degree. And why do we care about the Oscars? Because they are a sign of what I guess we value in film outside of a commercial standpoint. But it's still very very commercial because there are certain films that do get campaigned for and don't. And also because, like, it's a show that is shown on television, so you need to have some point of reference for the viewers to care about it. Yeah, yeah, and that's, like, I mean, there's there's a reason. I mean, the Golden Globes on the TV side are very, are very into awarding new shows um, and, and, and new actors and stuff um, in a way that feels... Sometimes it's like, oh, cool, that show got an award, but this year, for example... Uh, Amazon show Mozart in the Jungle, which like I don't know a single person who's seen that show. Um, I don't doubt that it's good. I I kind of doubt that it's good, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to be nice for a second. But um, and that and and one for best best lead actor, I think uh, is that right? Gal Garcia Bernal, who's a beautiful human being, and I he love him very much. Man. Um, but he went because he's the lead in that, and then um, it won for best new drama series or best drama series. 
not new. Mm. Yeah. Um, and the affair won the year before. So, and it's in a way that starts to feel like it's just a publicity push for these shows. Like maybe not a lot of people are watching uh, Mozart and Jungle, but now they are. Yeah. Um, and so that, I mean, I, we've been covering the awards in general on The Verge. We will continue to do so until the Oscars. And I think we're going to get a lot of questions from people like, oh, this doesn't matter. Why are we covering it? I can tell you just the only reason I have for Yeah, hit it. me. Tell me. Stay woke. <laughs> Go Stay on. Woke. What, am I, what am I staying woke from? Uh, just the copious amounts of kind of old-fashioned BS that informs these things. Oh, God, and it, yes. In a lot of ways, they can be fun and good because they bring, especially they bring, like, attention and, and accolades towards parts of the film industry that people don't pay a lot of attention to. Like, they still televise production design, costumes, sound, all that on the show, which is cool. They don't have to do that. I'm actually really shocked they haven't taken it off and put it in the, the non-televised portion of the show yet. Um, but... In other ways, it's just like it feels a little bit like just blind box checking in the way that the Grammys definitely do feel right now. Um, although the Grammys this year are pretty good, the, the nominations. So so let me ask you this. Um, would it be fair to say that like keeping an eye on the Oscars is a pretty good way of taking the temperature of what kinds of films are going to get funded and like what sorts of things, experimental things especially, you're likely to see more of? Um, I wouldn't say that. It's funny. I just did right before we recorded this. I recorded a what's tech with Chris Plant about um, film festivals because we um, are going to Sundance this year. Next week we are. And um, is that true? Next week? Oh, my God. It's coming up so soon. Um, <laughs> and we were talking about, you know, what what's the purpose of a film festival? Why film festivals? And that I feel is much more to take it uh, take the temperature of what's bubbling up in the film community, and especially like when you get into smaller film festivals and more genre oriented film festivals, um, you get a more more of a sense of like what are what are like younger people in film trying out now? Like what is going to be informing film later on? Um, the Oscars I think are more of like a, <laughs> the Oscars are like. Adele, an Adele record or something. It's like <laughs> something that people all agree is good and like it's fine. It's not the most groundbreaking thing in the world. It maybe it will make you cry, but like it won't make you th- think terribly deeply. I feel like that's what Oscars are kind of like. Um and like what you know, like the films like The Revenant. It's like like this this it, yes, this is not Star Wars. But Star Wars is better in a lot of ways and more interesting to think about in a lot of ways than, than prestige films. But it, I mean, it's, it's yeah. interesting. It's all it's all kind of these semiotics of like, what does a respectable film like look like? What does what does a, what does an awards film look like? What does an award mean? Right. It's, it's very, it gets very abstract after a while. Well, but, it's um, also like one of those things. I guess one of the things that was weird to me about The Revenant and like that sort of dissuaded me from seeing it is that like. Stop me if I'm wrong, but the plot is 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 white boys lost in Alaska. Is that right? Yeah, I mean it's about fur trappers, uh, and like I think they're supposed to be in North Dakota. Okay. Um, oh, in North Dakota. 
There's not a point to this movie, though. And that's the thing that's missing, I think. And I think if you watched the first half of The Revenant and then moved on to your next screener, like I suspect a lot of people who vote for these awards might do, um, you will miss the point. There's no point to this movie. There is like a surprising thing that happens at the end of the film, somewhat surprising. Does he the fuck com- the bear? <laughs> they reunite. <laughs> it's all is forgiven. They make passionate love. Um, no, I, it's, uh, I mean, I, I will spoil The Revenant, so so keep your ears plugged for the next 10 minutes. Uh, spoil it. In, instead, of, instead of directly killing Tom Hardy's character, who is really, really, you know, dicked him over for the whole film, uh, he sends him downriver so that he can be killed by some natives. The end. And, oh. like, this whole message is like, oh, like, fate will find its way or whatever, something like that. It's, that seems it, more it, like outsourcing, like, you're killing to other people. Yeah. Oh my God. You're so right. <laughs> yeah, it is. Like it my is hands like... are clean, technically. Yeah. Like, like I won't. I won't engage in in this pettiness. I won't be the person to get my hands dirty with this. Like you do it, natives. Um. Oh man, that's dark. That's yeah. like a whole other dimension on this film. Well, I. I mean, when I heard Leonardo DiCaprio thank all first nations people and all indigenous people around the world I sort of had some question marks because those cultures and societies are radically different but (laughs) hearing the ending suggests to me that it's like another one of those things like um oh what was that movie crash and I don't mean I don't mean the one that's based on like people having sex with cars I mean yeah The better crash. Yeah. Also. Um, yeah. Um, you mean the the uh, Paul Haggis film? Yeah, the, the one Oscar. that won the Oscar. Mm-hmm. Um, the the one that actually permanently soured me on the Oscars because it oh, won wait. the Oscar and like the, my boyfriend at the time had a screener um, from Netflix and was like, oh, let's just pop this in, and we watched it. And it was garbage. Oh yeah. Um, but like, there's this weird culture of white people wanting to acknowledge that white people are kind of terrible without actually doing anything about it like yeah for instance making the lead of your movie not Leonardo DiCaprio but perhaps an unknown native actor yeah um that I I the Revenant really like falls into that category for me like yeah and and it's 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 unfortunate because the best part of this film is uh Emmanuel Lubezki who's um the cinematographer, he, he also shot Birdman and he shot a lot of Alfonso Cuaron's, Cuaron's movies as well. He's like pretty much the best cinematographer working right now. Um, and he does a lot of really amazing like changing of perspective through camera work. And like we get really deep into like you know the, the the different tribes that they're dealing with. And like we there's an amazing battle scene at the beginning where you kind of track this action like from like the natives who are attacking in their camp and back and like you get empathy for everybody like everybody is a human in this interaction but the actual script on the page does not pay them as much due um they are kind of just uh these blanks um and that's that's like a very interesting thing that shows like how much cinematography can do because like on the page that 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 is not a part of the story um yeah that's interesting i mean he should win uh, Chivo for everything. I love him so much. He's he's one of my favorites. But um, yeah, wow. so we're we're gonna be keep, be keeping track. By the time you hear this, the Academy Award nominations will be out, um, and so that's why we're not talking about them because we've recorded this before. But um, 
you know, it's it's something that I've it's one of those things that I liked as a kid and like was obsessed with and then got very disillusioned with, you know, sometime into being a teenager or college student. But now I just like at at a, at a greater distance, I'm 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 my interest in it is renewed. Like sociological um, almost. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of things. <laughs> um, so just get more and more distance from the things you love. <laughs> Speaking of getting distant from the things you love, um, we have we have a sad segment to to, to go into now. Um, we lost uh, two great UK musicians um, recently. We lost uh, Lemmy uh, of Motorhead, for those of you who do not know, and of course David Bowie. Um, and R. like, have, has anybody else checked on like the great UK musicians, like the rest of them? Like, are well, they who's left right well, now? I mean, Paul McCartney's still kicking. Mick Jagger, know. Keith Richards. That's true. You know, and they're still Marianne Faithful. Like, please don't let Marianne Faithful <laughs> die on the, die Liz, this year. As our science editor, I think I think it's 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 my duty to maybe like update you on the fact that like human beings did d- die. I, they, I they know. Die I know they do. They get it's terrible and they die. <laughs> Especially if they spent their entire lives doing massive amounts of cocaine. What, well, Lemmy didn't do cocaine, lives. in fairness. to Well, I mean, he did, but like not in the same way that he did Speed. Um, right. Fun fact about Motorhead, if you do not know it already, is that the name of the band is derived from a nickname that bikers had for people who did a lot of Speed. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, well, Lemmy's <laughs> thematic, at least. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. Well, but, I mean, what do you... I, I am not as... I, I do not know Motorhead's oeuvre as much as I know David Bowie's. Um, but I mean, do you want to kind of? You wrote a you wrote a really lovely uh, obit for him on The Verge, um, which I appreciated having. But oh, do you want to like you. talk a little bit about like I don't know how that how that death sort of and and Bowie sort of relate to each other? How you see do you, do you feel like there is this era that's ending with them? Yeah. Well, so. We talk a little bit about the sort of means of production of culture here. And I had this feeling when Lemmy died, and I had it even more uh, when I heard that David Bowie had died, which is um, because of the way that we handle music and celebrity now, um, I don't know if we're going to get those types again. Like, Lemmy was just a fucking dirtbag, all right? Let's be (laughs) clear about this. This man was a dirtbag his whole life. You know, he was a a roadie for Jimi Hendrix. He helped put together, he helped Chrissy Hind put together The Pretenders. He did all of these incredible things, right? But um, what he liked, what he did while other rock stars were jetting around with models and, like, on airplanes and all of this stuff was essentially play, die, you know, play... (laughs) This, this this kills me. He would go to dive bars and um, he would order himself a Jack and Coke. And then he would go see if there was a pinball machine for him to play. Aww. And that was I've, what Lemmy did with his time. Sometimes he wrote that. songs. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, and like he got thrown out of um, Hawkwind, uh, his first band, um, because he got busted for cocaine. And this is a fun story. Um he was in Canada, and they busted him for cocaine, and he got off because he was holding amphetamines and not cocaine. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Wrong drug. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, I mean, like, everything about him, um, like, I, I know I, I don't like the word authenticity, um, and I hesitate to ever even use it, but everything about him 
um, wasn't premeditated. It didn't feel preplanned. There wasn't a marketing approach. Like, Motorhead did not make groundbreaking music for all of its time that it was in, 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 you know, in, in, in action, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I will grant you they, they totally invented thrash. We would have not, like, <laughs> if you are a metalhead, most of the bands you love trace their lineage to like motorhead <laughs> like yeah. that's just that's just how it is like this is like the sort of this wellspring really well, um i think it's interesting that you talk about uh premeditation with people like this and i think i think the same goes for bowie as well i mean there's been a lot made there's been like a gift that's going around that's like somebody did these sketches of every single kind of character that that bowie had which of which there were many and um if you watch Cracked Actor, the documentary about him, have you seen that? No, I haven't. Um, it's it's kind of amazing. It's, I guess it's like 1974 tour, so like really when he was like... Oh, peak cocaine. Peak cocaine, like very zonked out. I think it was like right before he probably shot Man Who Fell to Earth. Um, but he's talking, you know, he's still, I don't think he knows that the film's being shot, but he's still talking pretty articulately about like... They ask him about his, about his fans at one point and like, okay, now we've got all these kids who are going out to see your shows and they're like dressed up in all these wacky costumes and stuff. Do you feel like they're like trying to imitate you? And he's like, no, I mean, they're, I mean, like they maybe got a sense from what I did that like they're, they have different characters within themselves. And I feel like that's, that's a very valuable thing to pass on. And that in a way that like doesn't. Like, it's something similar to what Lady Gaga has done recently. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's impossible to be as um, uncalculated about that now. I think there's too much awareness of what's come before, whether it be from her or from Bowie or anyone else. It's really hard to go about your, like, own artistic expression, the multitudes within yourself and all that, in a way that doesn't feel like branding essentially like that it's it's incredible that that does not that's not a feeling that you get while you're going through Bowie's catalog like there are so many shifts and things you can imagine a press release going out for of like okay now he's gonna have his Berlin period and stuff or whatever like uh that you don't you just feel like you're watching a real human being just follow what interests them and what they're passionate about and there's something so so inspiring about that yeah I mean that that's also what Lemmy was doing in some sense, yeah. even though it was like at the entirely other stodgy end of the spectrum of like, this yeah. is what rock and roll looks like. And I'm going to be keep doing the same thing till I die. Like, and, you know, to use your Lady Gaga example, just to contrast a little um, because of the ways that the music industry has changed. Um, you have to figure out alternative sources for revenue because album sales won't do it anymore. So you have to be a little bit more involved if you're you're planning to have a career, right? Like Lady mm-hmm. Gaga got branding immediately. Like she was already like promoting Beats headphones, I think, oh, for yeah. and, like, Bad the Romance. First video. Yeah. Or yeah, yeah. Bad you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, like she had she had products in her her earliest videos, and yeah. I feel like when we talk about this sort of idea of like. Uh, a lost sense of a person it's because um in some ways and i don't mean to to to, um prop up the record industry which was in many ways bad and ripped us all off with cds and you know (laughs) um but it it did also give people a little bit of financial freedom to not take those deals to choose not to do those things and that's gone now yeah i mean the whole reason why we're okay like 
selling out is not a thing we care about anymore is because of the fall of the record industry. Like, I think everybody realized, okay, well, we're not getting giving our artists music through this so they can go do a Doritos commercial or whatever. And it's right. Fine. And I, um, I, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm just old fashioned and nostalgic, but I feel like there is a certain amount of loss that comes with that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a certain kind of naivety or something that, that, that we can't, I don't know if we can get back. I mean, I that and that's that's the thing. Like when we're talking about, like I don't know if there's going to be another boy again. Well, like that, and I was telling you this before we did the podcast. Like that's not the point, really. Like we don't need another Bowie. That's not the point of people. It's like to <laughs> have a right. new version of an old thing. Right. No, that's not what people are for. But it's it's. Uh, I think that kind of pioneering sense would be hard. I think I think it's it's hard to have somebody working at that scale of like fame who doesn't seem to be taking a whole lot of like market notes or getting like advised like is really just following their own compass I feel like Bjork is the closest thing I always bring up Bjork when I'm in a conversation like this because she really is like the closest thing I can think of that's contemporary where you do feel like she is just following her own star there and that's not too much but in, and and she's similar to Bowie in the way that she's like also cr- very very current like very paying very very close attention to technology and like ha- it's just like a constant seeker in that way. Yeah. Um, well, and you know I, the other thing that it poisons this kind of like marketing engagement poisons in a way is that if you have someone and I'm thinking um, actually specifically of Robin here, who like checks hmm. out of the system, right? Yeah. That's still a marketing ploy. That's still it. Still feels like a gimmick, and like it's not. It doesn't have to be. Like I don't. I don't mean to like you know. <laughs> well, I don't mean to Im- impugn well, people on independent records, but like. Uh, well, she. A, I mean, she. That's like a, a reaction against. So she was in a contract. She was in a very packaged pop phase, and she had to kind of wait for that that whole period of her career to end, and for that stuff to like phase out before she can come back. Like right. And, and like, I don't, I mean, I don't know what kind of, like, what was, what was Bowie's band name where he played the sa- the saxophone? Like, I mean, I don't feel like there was that, there was not a tie like that. It was, he was pretty much free to do whatever he wanted after he, like, once he went, became a solo artist. Right. And I guess, I guess the thing that I, I suppose I'm trying to say, uh, to go back to our ongoing conversation about brands, is that the omnipresence <laughs> of branding is, is so intense now that not having a brand and not advertising is in and of itself paradoxically a brand sure uh, that you can you can sell to certain demographics for instance NPR listeners so yeah. you know like there's there's this weird sense in which even people who aren't taking the deals are in some way also branding and segmenting themselves in the marketplace in a very savvy way that i, I wouldn't i wouldn't attribute to probably any real artists in the 70s you know yeah I mean it's interesting when you think about like how much outlets that covered people have to do with that too like who who would cover if Bowie was like contemporary now like say like like 1976 era Bowie is like an artist we have now among us like who would who would cover him who would talk about him and like would that be something? I don't know. It's 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 interesting to think about. Like, I mean, obviously, like your most of your music sites would, but 
what would be the demographic of a person who listens to David Bowie? Because people would want to know. That would be a huge question as far as like, okay, how can we how can we sell off of this? Like, right. How does um, this appeal to our audience? Yeah. And I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't want to get too meta about it because like, honestly, I was just very sad yesterday uh, going back and like watching a lot of a lot of live shows and stuff. I mean, it's really he's such an improbable artist. Like he's just so not he's one of these people that like um I feel like you get this with a lot of models too where they're so unusual. They're such an unusual presence that they become beautiful. I think there's something amazing about that. I think he is beautiful. <laughs> yeah, no, he is. He's a beautiful man. Um and I I don't know. It I think I think uh even as the way that he deals with like personal darkness and stuff isn't such a a weirdly non navel gazy way like you don't feel like he's avoiding the personal in a lot of his darker stuff um but it, but making it universal in a way um one of his strengths as a strong, a songwriter i feel um and i was discovering this as i was listening to him yesterday is his awareness of time and time's passing oh yeah that's like an obsession and like that you know again I don't mean to totally impugn our cultural moment but a lot of our culture seems very present obsessed right now Mm -hmm. um and so there is something that feels a little rare about somebody seeing you know the fleetingness for instance of the golden years or um you know, the way that things change. Uh, I mean, he wrote a whole album (laughs) about like, but um, it requires a sense of oneself in history um, that I think is sometimes rare in artists. And I don't know why that is. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you get the sense that he is always thinking about it and thinking about how he fits into it. I mean, like the, the album I've been listening to a lot has been, um, uh, scary monsters and super creeps recently because that has ashes to ashes on it and it's like it's got because you're young on it which is like oh it's so heartbreaking to listen to now um and it's just it's very self-reflexive in a way that i feel like not a lot of people can pull off without seeming completely self-obsessed if that makes any sense yeah um it's the difference between fake deep and real deep yeah um I don't know. It's it, it's it's a this is a really hard one to deal with. Like I, it really crept up on me. I was very shocked. Was not did not expect it at all when I like got online that morning because that's of course how we find out about all these things now. And then like as time has gone by, just like the more because there's just so he has such a huge body of work and it was so it was so kind of all over the place in a really wonderful way that like, you know, the stuff comes back to you very gradually as the yeah. day goes by. And, um, I don't know. It's, uh, if, if I would have, if I had to recommend one thing for people to, to reappreciate, it's him making out with a skull at the beginning of cracked actor, um, <laughs> uh, which is just like, Oh, it's I'm- so hot. And so like, I don't know. It's like it's it, it feels macabre now, I guess, in like a very surfacey way. But it's like very vital. It's yeah. a very vital image. Um, I love it. Well, making out with skulls was a common pastime in many Renaissance paintings. So it's <laughs> yeah. 
it's nice oh, if it's Bowie'd bring that back. Full open mouth, uh, like open jaw, just like getting in there. Oh Love my it. god. Love it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, R.I.P. David Bowie. R.I.P. Lemmy. Um, yeah. I don't know. Man, um, I, you know, if you haven't already had your Jack and Coke in honor of Lemmy, um, my my only suggestion to you is that you you go to a bar and you put Ace of Spades on the jukebox. Even if you don't know any other Motorhead, you probably know that song. And uh, order yourself a Jack and Coke. That's like for an, a regular rock star activity. I thought you were gonna go something darker. That's like that's something everybody can do. Everybody can do that. Yeah, I mean that's a nice that activity. Was, that was something that Lemmy genuinely liked. It seems like a nice tribute. Okay, well, thank you everybody for joining us again. Um, we're, it's, it's good to be back. It feels great. <laughs> and we're gonna see um, you next week, even. Next week, um, I will be. I don't know if we're gonna record while I'm at Sundance or before, but we're gonna do something. And uh, and then later there will be a Sundance. Um and yeah, every week subscribe to us. Um, we are Virgie SP on iTunes and we are on SoundCloud SoundCloud.com slash VergeSP. We are, as always, super thirsty for ratings and reviews. <laughs> Please, so. yeah, give us a give us a nice review. Um, even if you have something negative to say, give us five stars and say I believe I believe in you. I believe in you. I don't like where this is right now, but I feel like there's potential here. Liz, can you cut out the ums and uhs? Yes. <laughs> Please tell us how many times we said um and uh. Count them. Uh, and we need a count. We need a Fitbit for um and uhs. Yeah, we do. Actually, do really. Um, and well, uh, you can follow me at Twitter, Emily Yoshida, and I'm Ms. Lapata at MS Lapata. And that's all. Um, be sure to tune into Verge. What's, uh, what's Tech on the Verge next week? I'll be on it, and you should listen to it anyway. Subscribe to that as well. And we're out. <laughs> <laughs>